Well, I have to say it's a real honor to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. Anytime I get a chance to open God's Word and look into it and be able to, to share that with others around me, it's a, it's a joy and a humbling privilege. I know Pastor Michael understands that language. It's, um, uh, for us as pastors, it's a, it's a real honor to be able to do that, and especially in this place uh, with, with you uh, as a part of Village Church. Uh, it, is, it is an awesome privilege for me to be able to do that, so thank you for the opportunity. Today, like uh, Michael said, we're going to be delving into the next chunk of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 4, and we're talking about a subject this morning. what I say? Hebrews, Hebrews yes. Uh, let's, let's try Hebrews after. We did Ephesians this morning once already. Let's do Hebrews. Uh, <laughs> Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, uh, in the next section, and we're going to be talking about this subject called fitting words. Now, this is, this is an interesting uh, chunk of Scripture. As, as Michael already said, it's, it's, a, it's a passage of Scripture that uh, it, it, pastors love to, to talk about this, and, and, and probably one of the main reasons is, is because it is absolutely so applicable to every person who hears it, who reads it. We understand it. We get it. Every one of us is born with this inclination to use our words to justify ourselves, to hurt others, to, you know, all, all the things that we do. Uh, with our words, and it becomes an ongoing challenge for us to be able to use our words as God would want us to use our words. So it's a, it's a process that everybody can identify with. Now, during this part of my life that, that I find myself in right now with me and my family is we are, we are in a, a series of, of life where I have had to take on a, a job, and I've, I've taken on a job driving with Uber. How many of you are familiar with Uber. Familiar with Uber? Do we have any Uber drivers here, by the way? No Uber drivers? All right. So welcome to the saga of an Uber driver. Uh, we, we will, uh, you'll learn a little something about your driver. Probably you've driven with Uber drivers, and you're probably thinking to yourself, I wonder if they're all deaf. Well, they're not. They hear everything that goes on in the car, and then afterwards, they go to churches and share all the information they hear. <laughs> so... Today you're going to be hearing a little, so this is not a picture of me, but this is kind of like what I feel like when I'm driving for Uber uh, once in a while. I'll listen to what's going on in the backseat, and it's amazing to me the conversations that people feel very free to have in the backseat, as if there's nobody else in the car. And sometimes I'm amazed at how they talk to one another, and sometimes I'm amazed at how they talk about one another or about friends that they know. Often I'll even wonder, like, do they like the people that they're talking about because of the way that they talk about them? And, uh, and almost always the conversations are riddled with colorful expletives in order to highlight what, what part they're trying to highlight at the time. Now, I've been doing this for about six months now, and it's been, uh, it's been eye-opening, particularly after the witching hour, which is about 10, 11 o'clock at night. Then the conversations turn a whole lot more in that direction. And it's like, a, it's like a meter, you know. In the morning, it's not so bad. People don't want to talk. They don't want you to talk to them. But then when it gets about 11 o'clock at night, everybody wants to be your friend. And so it becomes an all, a free-for-all as far as conversation goes. The interesting thing about this also that I have found driving, driving these folks around, and they don't know that I'm listening. So you might be driving by me at some point, and you may see me like zoning out. It's not you. I'm trying to ignore what's going on in my car. That's what's going on. Sometimes, uh, however, after I stop, I'll, I'll get into a situation where I'll get frustrated or something. I'm not, I'm not even driving the car now. I'm, I'm just in a situation in my normal life where I get frustrated or angry about something, 
And what I have found is this weird thing that's happening, and this is pastoral confession time. I got to tell you, sometimes I find myself, after having been exposed to a whole new vernacular, I find words rolling around in my head that I've never found rolling around in there before. And it's interesting how when I get into a situation and, I, and, I'm, and I'm particularly overcome with emotion, it's interesting how many new words I have rolling around in my head. And I'm thinking to myself, that word would fit really well right in this situation. I have a whole new appreciation for those of you that work constantly with folks that are, are not protective of the words that they use. And, and how often we can be exposed to this and how this kind of breeds a breeding ground in our minds so that we find ourselves struggling with these kinds of words and these kinds of conversations almost on a regular basis. I want to tell you, you, grow up, you, you are in a world that is constantly exposed to this kind of conversation. Um, and it's interesting, I, I, can watch, I can watch TV and I can turn it off, but when I'm doing this, or when you're at your job, or when you're with a group of people that don't protect their conversations, you can't just turn it off. You hear it, and it's very difficult to begin filtering it out. Now to the passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, not Hebrews, but Ephesians chapter 4. Read with me in verse 29. Powerful passage of Scripture. Paul says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The conversations that come out of our mouths are meant to be fitting words. Thus the title of our time this morning. It's fitting words. And it's interesting that when Paul talks about these fitting words, words that fit the occasion, he's not seeking for some perfect expletives to underline or highlight what you're saying. Instead, he's connecting it with the next verse by helping us understand that if you've been redeemed by God, if you've been somebody that's been sought out and rescued by God and pulled out of your sin, like those songs we sang this morning, um, uh, that I love that, uh, Death is Arrested, My Life Began. That's such a good song because it is full of this, this language that we should be hearing on a regular basis, and it reminds us that we have been rescued to be free indeed. Being free means that we are no longer slaves to this kind of language, no longer slaves to this kind of conversation, the conversation that we might hear around us. We are to use our words in a fitting way, in a different way that fits us as children of God. It's not about the words that fit in, it's about you. It's about me. How do we fit in, those who have been sealed for the day of redemption, how do we fit in in the conversations that we speak in the world that goes and spins around us? So let me first start by saying, fitting words are not natural for me. It is very unnatural for me to be able to automatically come up with building up words, encouraging words, lifting up words. That is a very difficult prospect for me. My natural inclination is to automatically use derogatory words or selfish words or words that protect me and hurt others. It's because this is the way that we are born. It's the way that we are 
we are entering into this world under the foot of sin. In fact, James speaks a little bit about this in James chapter 3. This is a perfect passage that connects so well with Ephesians 4.29. James 3.6 says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among all of our members, that's every part of us, staining the whole body, and is set on fire and sets on fire the entire course of our lives and is set on fire by what church? Hell. You ever see the Energizer Bunny? You know that commercial? Energizer Bunny just keeps banging on that drum. What makes the Energizer Bunny go and go and go and go? Okay, this is your turn. Okay, what makes an Energizer Bunny just keeps going and going? What makes it go? More specifically, what battery? What is the battery that keeps your tongue energized? What is the energy that flows so that your tongue can wag? What is it, according to that verse, James 3, 6, setting on fire the entire course of life, and it is set on fire, or it is put, energy is put into it by where? Hell energizes your tongue. Now, that's a horrifying concept, isn't it? When we come out of the womb, we automatically begin using our tongues for things that are not Ephesians 5, uh, 4.29, but rather are things like this. In fact, it goes on to say, no human being can even tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. Do you know what an evil? Evil is bad, right? But we got a, we got a descriptive word right in front of evil. What's the word? Restless. What's restless leg syndrome? You've heard of that, right? So you can't stop your leg moving, right? What's a restless evil syndrome? You can't stop it from doing evil, right? That is your tongue. It is a restless evil, and it's full of not just poison, but it's full of what kind of poison? God is trying to explain to us that we have a condition that is irreparable in and of ourselves. It is a condition that is set on fire by hell. It will damage us. It will damage people around us, and it cannot be tamed. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, unless you think that I'm making a big deal out of it, and maybe this isn't what this passage actually says, you live in a world that knows this to be true. Otherwise, you wouldn't know phrases like this. Bite your... Mm. We, why do we have to bite our tongue? Because it's going, right? Because it's going, it won't stop, so bite it. Stop it from going. Bite your tongue, or think before you speak, Right? It's very interesting that every one of us, even the fallen world around us, those who haven't been redeemed by God yet, we all identify with the fact that our tongue is a troublemaker, and it seems sometimes to have a life of its own. Our words can be used to destroy, to wound. And it's interesting, you go back to Ephesians 4.29, it's, it's interesting that, that uh, this, this passage of Scripture talks about this, this corrupt words, these corrupt words that come out of our mouths. Let me just give you one more illustration to, to prove this. And have you ever heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but true or false, words will never hurt me. So false. Wouldn't you rather, if you don't like me, wouldn't you rather, if, I don't know if you like me, just, just slap me in the face so I know where I stand with you, rather than you going somewhere else and telling somebody else something about me, or saying something that cuts me? Ephesians 4.29, corrupting words. This word corrupting actually is a word that means, uh, it means uh, rotten or putrid. Actually, it's where we get our word gangrene from. It's this, it's this idea that these words sometimes that we say will cut and it will create a condition that is irreparable sometimes. 
Have you ever looked up gangrene online? Don't do it. Don't do it uh, yet. I, I said, did you look it up this morning? <laughs> I, said, I said, don't do it. Michael's down there looking up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't do it before you eat, all right? Because if you look up this online, you will be introduced to a world of disgusting images. I picked out one, and I made it very small so you'd have to look very closely to see it. And I even had to put a tag over that. It is a disgusting uh, disease that happens when you get cut. It, it, this is a bacteria that enters through the cut and it begins to eat away at skin, muscle, and even bone. And once it eats away at the skin, the muscle, and the bone, it cannot, that tissue, that bone will never be repaired. You never get it back. All you can do if you have gangrene, all you can do is stop the process by making a cut and getting rid of that so you can preserve the good tissue. But once the tissue is damaged, you never get it back. This word that Paul is using in Ephesians 4.29 is a word that, that describes gangrene. It's the idea that sometimes when we use our words, we slice other people. We just make small incisions and we have no idea as to what gets into that cut and creates this devastating life for this person because of simple words that we've said. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with people who have told me about what they think of themselves because of a conversation they had two or three years or 10 or 20 years ago. And people, people who have had those conversations with those people, they've long since forgot about those conversations. But the people who have heard it, the people who have received the slice, the cut, those words came in and they created gangrene conditions so much so that that person thought of themselves much like the other person they were talking to 20 years ago. And they needed redemptive words. They needed new words. They needed, they needed words of life, not words of death. And, and so I, I get to talk to them and help them see how God sees them and not how others see them. These corrupting words have a, have a devastating impact on our lives like, like few other things. It, they are pervasive and they sometimes create conditions that seem irreparable. It's also interesting, before we move on from this thought, James goes on to talk about the kind of words that we use. And sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I can use these words in this setting and I can use these words in this setting because the situation demands it. The situation, those words will fit better there. And then, and then we begin to talk like people around us about other people around us. And, and then the most pervasive thing of all of this is then we come into church and we lift up our voices and praise God and we use these same tongues that have cut others to bless God. James talks about this in James chapter three and verse nine. He says, with it, the tongue, our words, with it, we bless our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessings and cursings, my brother. These things ought not so to be. There is a sinister inconsistency with someone who can tear down a brother or sister just a few hours before praising God. It's gangrene, and it runs the risk of damaging others around us to the point sometimes where it seems almost irreparable. Have you ever talked with somebody like that who's been damaged over time? Ephesians 4.29 simply says, let no conversations be proceeding from your mouths that cause gangrene conditions. Get rid of all of that kind of conversation. Get rid of all of those words. 
Conversations that are redeemed need to be fitting for the occasion. They needed to sometimes be painfully and cautiously put together so that they fit the occasion that we are in. And they fit that occasion for a greater obstacle or or sometimes for greater purposes. And we need to overcome great obstacles. Why is it so unnatural for me to speak in a way that builds others up and instead tears them down? Well, it goes way back to the beginning of time. I, I mean, do you remember Adam and Eve in the garden? You remember the scenario there? They, they were told not to eat from the tree and then Eve ate from the tree and gave it to her husband, Adam, and he ate from the tree. And then God comes along walking in the garden and he's looking for them and he says, Adam, where are you? And, and Adam, Adam says, okay, okay, here I am. He says, why were you hiding? And he said, well, we did something bad and we knew you were gonna get mad at us. And so we, uh, so, so we, we were hiding from you. He said, what, what have you done? And Adam said, well... The woman that you gave to me, you remember that? The woman you gave to me, she's not everything you said she was going to be. Do you, do you remember? Isn't that what he did? Wouldn't you rather him say, I'd like to own up to the fact that I did wrong and it's nobody's fault but my own. But he didn't, did he? No, what he did, he, he pointed at his wife. And then when God went to Eve, he said to Eve, what have you done? And Eve said, okay, it's my fault, right? No, Eve said, no, no. My husband's a weakling. He should have stood up for himself. And the, the serpent that, by the way, you put in the garden, serpent tempted me and I fell. Words, words. So God talks to the devil and curses the devil because you can't go any lower than that. And then they have kids, right? Adam and Eve have two kids, Cain and Abel. They're out making sacrifices to God. God comes along and he says, oh, Cain, you know, your, your sacrifice is not so good. I'd rather, I, I like Abel's. Cain gets jealous. He gets angry with Abel and angry with God. And so he takes Abel out in the field and he kills Abel, you know, you know the story. So God comes to Cain and he says, Abel's, where, where's your brother Abel? And Cain says, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? All the words that we use. God knew exactly what happened. And from Adam and Eve, every one of us who are born into this world struggle in the same way with using our words properly in ways that glorify God, in ways that, that, that confess sin. That's so hard to do. Instead, we'd rather blame others. And the minute we come out of our womb, I mean, think about your kids. They don't come out of your womb thinking to themselves, I'd like to just say mom and dad are great. They're fantastic. Everything they do is right. Now, the minute they come out of the womb and start to, to use their words, what's the first word that they use? <laughs> no. <laughs> we should have a chalkboard right off. No. Mine. <laughs> and then you grow up and you learn new words to use. And then you get in an Uber car and you teach your Uber driver all kinds of new ways to put those words together. We, we, we mature the way that we talk and yet we're still in the gutter because every one of us struggles with biting our tongue. Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion. And so I want to tell you this, God's desire is to give me fitting words. God's desire is to, is to provide me with words that exemplify something I'm not used to something that is different than what comes natural to me. In fact, God's purpose in redeeming me includes redeeming my words. God wants to use me in a way that instead of spewing hate or spewing my own thoughts on something or spewing selfish words or spewing proud words, God wants me to use my words in a way that are almost like his words that come out of my mouth. 
That's why the Bible says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It doesn't mean that we walk out the door going, how are you today? I'm fine. Base. Uh, we don't do that. Instead, the, the emphasis is when you sing these wonderful songs here at Village Church and you get that energizing pump from God, it is because these words are powerful and true and these are the words that God speaks to you and your spirit inside of you goes, that's right, those are the words we speak to one another. God's desire is that we take those words, that we bottle them up and that we use those words in our, in our settings. That's what it means to have fitting words. If you're redeemed by God, you use your words in such a way as would fit somebody who has been redeemed by God. Lest you think this is only a, something that you know, the, the, the regular people, pastors don't struggle with, but, but this one does because now he's an Uber driver. Lest you think that, that, that this is only for the lowliest of the low, that only those people really, you know, only dock workers struggle with their language. There's a passage of scripture in the Old Testament where Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and his glory filled the temple. Do you know this passage of scripture? Israel's at a low time. They're, they're without a king and they're without hope. And, and uh, Uzziah, prosperity, they just had Uzziah dies. And Isaiah gets a glimpse of God. God encourages him with a glimpse of himself in a vision. And, and he explains this vision and the angels are going around singing, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is filled with his glory. You know this passage? How does Isaiah respond? He doesn't, he doesn't respond as, as I would think that he should respond. Will I dance in his presence or to my knees will I fall? None of that. You know what Isaiah says? The very first thing he says is, oh God. He, he looks at God and he says, God, get away from me because I am a man of, do you remember this passage? I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. The first thing that Isaiah realized when he sees the Lord is how guilty he is of his conversations that do not please God, but that'll look a lot like the world. And that was the prophet Isaiah. Jesus quoted Isaiah more than any other prophet just to let you know who Isaiah is. Here's my encouragement to you this morning. God's desire is to give us fitting words his redemptive process includes giving us these, these new words, putting off and putting on, just like we've been learning about in the book of Ephesians. We put off the old, we put on the new. I love Michael's illustration of, of, of the guy that's in jail and he's in jail and, he, and he's eating prison food and then he gets released from prison and he'd rather eat prison food than, than eat free food. That's a silly concept. And this is what we're told even when it applies to our conversations that when God comes to redeem us, he redeems our conversations. We don't need to speak like those around us anymore. But it's so pervasive. I know we live in a world of unclean lips like Isaiah. But to recognize that God does this redemptive process that it's ongoing gives us hope that our conversation can be used for something greater. In Colossians 3 in verse 8, it talks more about this putting off and putting on, speaking about our words, but now you must put them all, uh, all away. Anger, wrath, malice, here we have it, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being, and this is a continual daily renewing, being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The ability to fit God's words into my fallen vernacular is something that requires a power outside of myself. 
I cannot do it in and of myself. It will not happen if I just try and improve the words that I use. This is not a natural thing that happens. It has to happen when we throw ourselves at the mercy of God and say, God, I have a problem with my communication skills. I need your help. I don't talk to my wife the way that I should. I don't talk to my husband the way that I should. I don't talk to my boss the way that I should. I don't talk to my, ki talk to my kids the way that I should. I need help in this area. And if you try and do it yourselves, it will not work. You need help from a power outside of yourselves. And who better to go to than the one who wants to renew your vocabulary? He says it again down in Ephesians 5 and verse 4. He touches on this again. And, and, and lest you think it's only, well, can I throw a few colorful words in there? Look in Ephesians 5, 4. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but in, instead let there be thanksgiving. Don't we struggle with this crude joking? Don't we struggle with these filthy words? Well, Craig, can I use some off-color words to kind of, kind of highlight what I'm trying to say? Not according to this verse, you can't. Because according to God, even our joking needs to be renovated so that it glorifies God and it doesn't look like the world around us. These words, all these words, words, words that you see here, every time the word word is used here and in the previous passage in Ephesians 4, these are the words, this is the word logos. The logos is used here. And so even, even our words, individual words that we use are meant to bring life and not death. Instead of cutting, they're meant to be healing words. These are simply out of place according to uh, five, four. This filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking are out of place. They don't belong. They don't fit for those who have been redeemed. We need a help to fix them. And so I want to tell you that God can fix our words. Fitting words can not only be fixed, but they can be used for God's glory because instead let there be thanksgiving. My words, instead of using them for foolishness or filthiness or, or crude joking, those are out of place for me. They can be replaced with words of thanksgiving. And it's interesting too that these words that God will renovate and, and teach me new words to replace those fallen words, these words can be used to bring him glory. Do you know how my words get to, use, get, get to be used to bring God's, God glory? Look at Ephesians 4.29 one more time. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, no gangrene talk be proceeding from your mouths, but only such as good for, what does your Bible say there? Building up. As it fits the occasion, the occasion of you the redeemed speaking, that it may give grace to, to those who hear. No other created thing in the world has the ability to use communication like the image of God, like us, human beings. We have this ability to string together words so that they make sense, so that they can reason, so that they're, they can actually be brilliant. But we can also use them to cut. And God says, use your words in such a way that they would build up others. Now, let me just explain to you that building up others doesn't always mean fluffy words. Uh, when I think about sometimes the way that we think about building up others, I think about this guy. Uh, this is somebody that might be familiar with. I know Pastor Michael has told me he's used him before. You remember this guy? He's one of your senators, yeah, in America, and politics continues. But he, uh, is he still a senator from Minnesota? Yeah, Stuart Smalley, yeah, that's right. No, no uh, fr uh, Frank, 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 Franken, Al Franken, yeah. 
So this is when he was on SNL. But he played this Stuart Smalley character when he looked in the mirror and he would always feel bad about himself or he'd feel bad that somebody said something about him. So he'd look in the mirror and he'd always say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Yeah, do you remember that? He would always use his words in some fluffy way where he would never address what he actually needed to address. Instead, he would say words that he thinks others would need to hear, but he never addresses the real issue. That is not what God is talking about. What God is talking about is using our words in such a way that fits the occasion of the day. That might actually even mean correcting somebody that you love. It might be, mean addressing a sin in somebody else's life that God has put in your, in your life to talk to. It might involve correcting your children. It might involve even pointing your spouse in a different direction. It doesn't always mean using fluffy words that don't mean anything. Otherwise, we wouldn't have use, use truth. Let no falsehood come out of your mouth. Do you remember that message a couple of weeks ago? But instead, speak truth to one another. We are to be genuine articles to one another. But when we do it, our words, and here's the secret from changing your words to words that cut to words that build up, the secret is by couching all of your words, flowing them in through and through, with the love of God. When we speak to one another, it's to be done out of a heart of love. And you know the difference. When somebody talks to you to correct you and they do it to prove a point, isn't it different than somebody comes to you and corrects you out of a heart of love for you? Can't you immediately tell the difference? God says when you speak to one another, you are to use words of love, overflowing with grace, overflowing with love, and speak to one another in truth, it fits the occasion, in other words. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. My mom used to always, uh, always tell me, Craig, you gotta use your words, use your words. Now I have four daughters and they use a lot of words. I didn't use a lot of words growing up. I was a boy, so I grunted or, uh, uh, or pointed or screamed, that's how I got my, my message across. But now that I have girls of my own, they love using words. It's a completely different animal there. And, uh, and I enjoy hearing them speak, don't get me wrong. It's, it's a joy to hear my little girls speak. But boys and girls are a little different on, on this side. When we speak, it's not to get ourselves heard. Do you ever wonder why you speak? It's a weird concept. Theologically, what is a theology of conversation? When we speak, the point of us speaking is not to get ourselves heard. It's not to get our point across. When we speak, it's right here in this verse. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may, what? Give grace to those who hear. You're telling me that every word I say is meant to give grace to the person who's listening to it. How different would our conversations be if that was our goal? If my goal in every conversation wasn't to get my thoughts across or to prove my point, if my goal in every situation was to give grace to the people who are listening to me, I wonder how that would change what I say. I wonder how it would change the way that I talk to my kids. I wonder how it would change the way that I talk to my friends. I wonder if it would change the way I talk to my enemies. If my goal was to always give grace to those who are listening, I wonder how it would change me. How it would change the way I rebuke others. 
demonstrate frustration with others, even get angry. And so church, I would say that we need to be thinking before we speak, but not because we want to say something that we don't mean, but something that is couched in the love of God, something that is covered with the love of God, something that communicates grace. As God speaks to me, so I speak to others. And one of the things that God loves to see in my conversation is thanksgiving. This is one good checkpoint to help us understand when we're speaking, how do we keep it into the grace realm and out of the cutting realm? Let it be filled with thanksgiving. Thanks to God, thanks to others. Thank you for what you've done in our lives and how that would change the way that we speak. The word logos is an interesting thing. It's a word in Scripture that describes even Jesus Christ. He is the logos of God, the very word of the Father to us. It's a, it's a lofty word, and it's used even in these passages of Scripture. No foolish logos. Let your logos be filled with grace. When Jesus came to us, he came to speak to us in words that were full of life because we live in a world that, whose words are full of death. And so Jesus spoke to us in words of life and gave us the plan of redemption that would lead us to the Father. These are the words that are supposed to fill our vocabulary as believers in, in Jesus Christ, followers of his. When I was a youth pastor, I, I took my kids on a, a mission trip that I'll never forget. We went to Colorado. We did some mountain hiking. We did some rappelling. We did um, you know, outside door, outdoor stuff. And it was a lot of fun. My kids loved it. First day we're out there, they were doing rappelling. If you've ever done rappelling off these cliffs, it is petrifying, especially if you've never done it before. You put your, your harness on, you know, and, and they're not very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Complimentary. They're not very complicated because you got to snug them up really tight. And so some of my kids would come over the, t- the cliff and we'd be on the bottom and I'd hear some of the teenagers, ah, look at that guy. Buns are hanging out and all of that. And they're making fun of him coming down the cliff. And, uh, and he would come all, oh, he's scared. You get it. They're mocking him all the way down. And he gets off. He goes, well, you try it. And then they come over the cliff and their friends do the same to them. And then the next guy comes over and their friends. We did this all day. Then we get to the fire at night and the guy that was leading our retreat heard all of it. So he's sitting around the fire with us. And what do you think the topic he chose to speak on was? The bad youth pastor that can't keep his kids in check. No, that's not it. He spoke on the words that the kids were using. And he used this phrase that I've never forgotten in all of my, my, my life since that moment forward. He said, guys, you've got to learn how your words can cut and hurt or how they can build up and encourage. And you've got to know that God wants to use, you, use your words to build up and encourage. That is the purpose for conversation. He said, words of life, not words of death. Words of life, not words of death. So the next day we go back to the, to the cliff and my kids are going back over the cliff and you want to know what happened? The words changed. And if they didn't change, oh, let me tell you what they, you can do it. Way to go. You can do it. You're looking good. You're coming down. Way to go. Don't be scared. You're good to go. All the way down. And then the next guy would go and he would come all the way. And if anyone mocked any of the other ones, all the kids would point at them and say, words of life, not words of death. And all the way home in the van, from the cliff, we drove home in the van, and they would be hitting each other in the arm. Whenever they started mocking one another, whenever they started talking about each other in a negatory way, they would hit one another in the arm and say, words of life, not words of death. Words of life, not words of death. What would happen if you knew there was a place where you could go, where you always received words of life and never heard words of death? Would that be the kind of place you'd want to go? 
when you run to that kind of a place? I want to tell you there's a place like that on the planet today, and it's the church. The church is meant to be the place where there are words of life constantly communicated on a regular basis, not words of death, even when correction is needed, even when discipline is needed, and it's needed sometimes just like in your family, but always surrounded by life and always filled with thanksgiving and always giving glory to God and always building the other person up. Words of life, not words of death. What would it be like if you knew you could come to a place where you would always receive words of life? And my encouragement to, the, our church, to, to your church this morning is simply this, that we would be a place where we would speak constant words of life. And my family and I have been coming here for, for about five months now, and um, I want to thank you as a church. I want to thank you because I don't know all of you. Uh, I, know, I know some of you. We've gotten to know some of you along the way. But from the day one that we came into this place, we have constantly received words of life. You have loved on us, you have hugged us, you have encouraged us, and even the conversations we hear in the corners that we're not a part of are words of life being spoken to one another. Now, I don't pretend that this is a perfect place because there's no perfect place on the planet, but I'm, I wanna tell you that in this place, we have heard words of life from the pulpit to the back door, and it has blessed me and my family. This is why I'm compelled to take what you're doing here at Village and spread it through this church plant idea. This is why I'm pursuing it, because I want to take what you're doing here and multiply it to a world that's lost and dying, constantly like life in an Uber car. I want to take it to a world that always lives Jerry Springer from the morning till the evening and let them know it doesn't have to be like that. It can be life-giving. It can be love-giving. It can be full of thanksgiving, and it can be for you. Thank you for our, from our family. And I want to encourage you, let's continue to be a place where we speak words of life, not words of death. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we had together. This passage is a powerful passage of Scripture, such an easy concept, but something that we can all identify with because every one of us struggles with our words. There's no one perfect in here. And because of that, every one of us are going to drop the ball in this area. We're gonna choose words of death far more than we choose words of life, but God, that you would redeem our tongues, redeem our conversations, redeem us fully as image bearers so that we can portray you in the words that we choose in the conversations that we have to one another and about one another. That you would be pleased with every word that proceeds out of our mouths, that it would be like hymns and songs and spiritual songs. That we would be speaking words that, look a lot like the way you speak to us. In this way, Father, may you redeem your church completely. Sanctify us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Help us to look more like your son every day until the day we finally are like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is my prayer for every believer listening to these words this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.